When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Gore UGA Podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at Alumni Hall. I was just there today, guys, in store. I had about, really, five minutes to spend there. I was just going to swing by real quick. In fact, I was running an errand in that area. I was in the Epsbridge Shopping Center, and I mean, if I'm in the Epsbridge Shopping Center, I've got to go by Alumni Hall. I only had about five minutes, so I had to get back to work. Uh, yeah, not a good idea, because I ended up spending about 35 minutes in there, snuck back into work a little bit late, it's not telling anybody, but you guys know I had to hook myself up, did a little bit of damage, because I mean, how could you not, with all the great gear they have in there, the best selections of the best brands, there's no one out there that has what Alumni Hall has, I promise you guys, that's why I I can't help myself but go to Alumni Hall, because they have things that no one else has, so do yourself a favor, get your game day gear today at alumnihall.com, or in store, like I did, inside the Bridge Shopping Center, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. But all right, guys, you know the drill. I am your host, Tyler, and it is August 1st. We have actual football games this month. Let's freaking go. And yes, I would like to say that with a little bit more emphasis, but we try to get this a family show, but I think you get the idea. I'm pumped, you're pumped, everybody's pumped, it's college football season, baby, and there is no turning back, and today, we're going to get back on our scouting the enemy train, we, we took a week off because we had, we had to talk some recruiting, had some big recruiting news break, we had to get on that, had to talk about that, but we are back on the scouting the enemy train today, and we got Florida up today, guys, this is always a big one every year, usually have more people listening to this episode, at least as far as scouting the enemy episodes go, than any other episode in the series. So let's go, baby. But first, I do want to quickly thank you guys for just supporting this podcast. I, I've said it so many times throughout the years, but I really, truly believe that I cannot say it enough. Thank you so much for supporting our podcast. The reason I say that today is because we've got the numbers for the entire month of July, and we just posted by far the biggest month of July in the nine-year history of the Glory UGA podcast. In fact, this July, we were up 35% over last July, which was our previous high for the month of July. So that's pretty big time. That's exciting stuff, and it's all thanks to you guys for coming back week after week, month after month, whether it's in-season, off-season. You guys are always here. You have our back. You support us, and we truly cannot thank you guys enough for that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. 
and to try to repay you a little bit to show our gratitude, I did just post the second video on our new YouTube channel and I put a lot of work into this one. This one's a little bit longer. There's more film study. It's more in-depth. It's more Glory UGA style. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. I mean, if you like this podcast, you're going to like this video. Just trust me on that. So give it a shot. You can just go to YouTube and search for Glory UGA podcast and you'll find it. We have two videos up now. You'll find this newest video. In this video, guys, I'll just tell you what the topic is. We all know that Tennessee Twitter has been talking insane trash all offseason long as though they, they actually won the game last year and they actually won the SEC and actually won the national championship. Like it's, it's crazy revisionist history. It's insane what's going on. So I, I've been listening to this and taking it in, soaking it in all offseason long. Haven't really engaged. I've engaged like once or twice and like it's like beating your head against a brick wall. There's no point in it. So I just stop and I just watch and I listen and I absorb it. And uh, I made this video as, as somewhat, not even really a response, but just an explanation as to why Georgia is kryptonite for Josh Heupel's Tennessee offense. Because Tennessee's been great. They've been really good. At least they were really good last year. And I think they will continue to be good under Josh Heupel. I just don't know when they're going to be Georgia because the way that we are built really gives the Tennessee offense issues. So check that out, like, and subscribe. Please subscribe to the channel. That is a great way. If you're always wondering like, hey, how can how can we help the podcast besides just listening? And listening is number one. That's awesome. Thank you guys for always being here. But liking, subscribing to our new YouTube channel, five-star ratings and reviews if you have a few minutes on, on Apple Pod or Spotify, whatever you listen to the podcast on, those things are all tremendously valuable in helping our podcast. So thank you guys again for that. But Let's go ahead, man. Let's get to some football talk. Let's break down the Florida Gators. And this Florida football team is in a really interesting spot coming into the 2023 football season. So we all know they weren't great in year one under Billy Napier. They had their ups. They had their downs, way more downs than ups. And they finished the season six and seven with a blowout loss to Oregon State in the Las Vegas Bowl. Now, you know, bowl results, you kind of throw them out these days, all the opt-outs. But still, like I mean, it was, what, 30 to nothing, something like that. It was an absolute beatdown in the Vegas Bowl. And, you know, it's first year in the job for Billy Napier, so you kind of give him a pass. And the Florida fans seem to have done that, but clearly... They're not too happy with their station in the college football landscape right now because not only is Georgia at the very top of the college football world winning back-to-back national titles, but you also have Tennessee, who Florida's dominated for the better part of the last 15 years. They have now surged ahead of Florida under Josh Heupel. And you have Florida State, their in-state rival, who has also surged ahead of Florida and is now a legitimate college football playoff contender coming into a 2023 season where the expectations for Florida are exceedingly low once again. Their win total coming into this year is five and a half. Five or five and a half, depending on what sports book you're looking at. But either way you slice it, it ain't a rosy picture for the Florida Gators. And here's why I think this is a really interesting spot for Florida this year. So they are coming off a losing season, six and seven. And if you look at the schedule this season, it is absolutely brutal. It might be one of the two or three most difficult schedules in the entire country. I mean, I really mean that, guys. Let's look at the schedule here real quick. They open with a road game at Utah on Thursday night of of opening week. Then you've got McNeese. That's a win. At home against Tennessee, but Tennessee is just in a far better place from a roster standpoint, from a continuity standpoint. I think the Volunteers should win that football game. It's not impossible that Florida can win it, but 
I would make Tennessee the favorite right now. You got Charlotte, that's a win at Kentucky. I think Kentucky's going to beat Florida this year. We did the Kentucky preview a couple of weeks ago. I told you guys point blank. I think Kentucky might be a sleeper in the SEC, so I like Kentucky over Florida. Vandy at home, that should be a win at South Carolina. Mm, I don't know, man. I mean, they beat the crap out of South Carolina in Gainesville last year. But South Carolina is a team that's gaining some momentum in their program. It's in Columbia, which can be a tough place to play. I think it's a it's, that's the ultimate toss-up game, so I can't go either way, but they could absolutely lose that game. Then Georgia and Jacksonville, that's a loss. Arkansas at home, man, that's tricky. I think Arkansas is going to be a good football team this year. I think Arkansas will be better than Florida. It's in Gainesville, so kind of a toss-up there. At LSU, no chance. At Missouri, Florida has had a lot of issues winning games in Columbia, Missouri, so that one I think is another toss-up. Florida State, loss. I see three guaranteed wins on Florida's schedule. And at minimum, four certified losses. They're losing to Florida State. They're losing to Georgia. They're losing to LSU. And they are losing to Utah. They are not winning any of those football games. There are a couple of toss-ups there. But at Kentucky, again, I lean Kentucky there. At South Carolina, honestly, I lean at South. I lean to South Carolina there. I think they, I mean, I'm not high on Spencer Rattler. I just think it's a better quarterback situation. And I do think that Columbia is a tough place to play. Missouri, man, I think that's going to be tricky. I think Missouri is going to be good this year. So Right now, I'm struggling. Like I look at Florida's schedule, and I see like three wins. I think I think five is the absolute max for four this year. I don't think that there's any way they get to six. I mean, they're going to have to pull some serious upsets to get to six. I mean, they're going to have to beat South Carolina on the road, Missouri on the road, and Arkansas at home to get to six wins. I don't see I don't see that's going to happen. I just don't think that's going to happen. So when you think about that, whether they end up with three wins, four wins, five wins, or heck, even six wins. Six wins, is, is that really going to make the Florida fans feel all that much better when Georgia's still doing what Georgia's doing and Florida State's going to potentially, probably, I think I would pick them to win the ACC right now? That's not going to make them feel great. And if they only win like three or four games, like if, if that happens, that's a very realistic possibility. What happens to Billy Napier? They pull the plug in year two? I think that's a very realistic possibility, and it's more of a possibility these days. Like It used to be just a rule of thumb. Like You gave a coach four to five years, get four recruiting cycles in there, get your dudes in the program, and see what you can do. But that is not how these things work anymore. Not with all the money in college football, all these TV contracts where the SEC is now starting next year in 2024, the new ESPN deal kicking in. Schools are going to get over $50 million a year. They have money in a way that they never previously had. So yeah, they can pay these buyouts. They can afford it. It's not that big of a deal. They want to win. But the thing is, I actually respect Billy Napier. I think he's a good football coach. I think he's going to do a really good job at Florida long-term if they give him time. I just don't know if they're going to have the patience to give him the time that he needs to really build out that program. The situation right now is that Billy Napier is the victim of recruiting malpractice by Dan Mullen. Yeah, he lost seven games last year, but those were with Dan Mullen's players. Dan Mullen was asleep at the wheel. Actually, it's not that he wasn't trying necessarily. The dude was just weird and awkward and clownish, as I told you guys for a couple couple years in a row. But we, we know that. So the roster is just not in good shape. Now, Napier's tried to upgrade it with the portal, but you know it's, it's a tough sell when Florida hasn't been winning games recently. Napier is recruiting his butt off. Napier is an awesome recruiter. Let's not forget, he comes from the Nick Saban tree as well. He knows how to build an organization. He knows how to go out and recruit. He's a genuinely nice, decent human being, and players gravitate towards him. They like this guy. He knows what he is doing. He knows how to run a football program, and he knows how to recruit. But if they bought him out this year, and they very well might, 
with that schedule, if they only win three or four games, maybe even only five games, is the Florida fan base going to be patient enough when Georgia might win three national championships in a row? When maybe Georgia and Florida State, their two biggest rivals, are in the college football playoff potentially in the same year while Florida's sitting there with seven, eight, or who knows, maybe even nine losses this year. I think the administration at Florida would like to keep him long-term. I think they want to commit to him to that degree because I think they probably see what I see. This guy, you know, he's doing things a lot better behind the scenes than what Dan Mullen was doing. But the Florida fan base, if they go back-to-back losing seasons in his first two years in the job, again, while Georgia and Florida State are thriving, I don't know if the fan base is going to have patience. I think that they might be out for blood. I think that they might put pressure on the administration to make a move, which I think would only serve to even further set Florida back. Because again, I believe if they stick with Napier, if they give him a couple years, this guy is going to recruit. He's going to rebuild that roster. He's already in the process of doing it this year. Personally, I would love the Florida fan base to bottom out this year and lose their minds and force out the best coach they've had since Steve Spurrier. Or I guess since I'm maybe Urban Meyer and then have to start the clock all over again. But I think it's just a very, very interesting spot for Florida this year. And I, I do think how this season goes is going to have a pretty significant impact on the long-term viability of this program moving forward the next four, five, six years down the road. All right, so I've established that I don't think Florida is going to be very good this year. I think they're in a really tough spot. I think Napier is in a really tough spot. But let me talk more about why. Let's dive into the players, the schemes, the numbers, and really dive into why I think the Gators are going to struggle so much this season. It all starts at the quarterback position. We all know what they had at quarterback the past two years, right? They had Anthony Richardson, who was one of the most physically gifted quarterbacks, I think it's fair to say, that we have seen in quite some time. But on the other hand, it's also fair to say that he had a lot of trouble harnessing that talent and those gifts. Because on the field of play, at the college level, the dude just wasn't productive. He was not good. He had his moments and he had those wow plays, but on a down-in, down-out basis, he was simply not a good college quarterback. Now, he might be a good NFL quarterback. We saw that with Josh Allen, but I don't care about that. I care about the college game. He wasn't very good in college, but he was still uber talented. We all know that. Talented enough, in fact, to get himself drafted inside the top four of the NFL draft. And here is who they're replacing him with. Graham Mertz from good old Wisconsin. And this guy, talk about a guy that hasn't been productive at the college level. Graham Mertz has unequivocally been very bad as a college quarterback. He started some games during the COVID year, but he had two full seasons in 2021 and 22 as the starter at Wisconsin. In neither of those seasons did he surpass 60% completion percentage. He actually has, he topped out at 59 and a half in 2021. In 21, he threw for under 2,000 yards as a quarterback who started 13 games for them. Last season, he threw for a little over 2,100 yards. He's never averaged more than 7.5 yards per attempt in his career. In 21, he threw 10 touchdowns to 11 picks. Last year, 19 touchdowns to 10 picks. So put those two seasons together, and what you have is a quarterback who's thrown 29 touchdowns and 22 interceptions over the last two seasons. Now, to be fair, over the past 20, 25 years or so, going back to Barry Alvarez, maybe even longer before that, the Wisconsin offense has certainly not been quarterback friendly. But if you actually watch them play, like I have, you see a quarterback, even when there are plays to be made and there are opportunities for him to hit receivers, he either A, doesn't see them, B, panics, or C, just misses them. I've heard a lot of people this offseason talk about how they think that Graham Mertz is going to bring more stability to the Florida offense this season. 
And I understand why you might think that would be the case because there was so much instability with Anthony Richardson. You had your highs, you had your lows, and they were extreme. So you think, okay, whoever comes in next, like they, they might not be as talented, and they're not going to be as talented as, as Anthony Richardson, but maybe they'll be a little bit more stable, a little more even keel. You know what you're going to get with them a little bit more than you did with Anthony Richardson from a game-to-game basis, a down-to-down basis. I don't necessarily think that's altogether the case with Graham Mertz. I mean, I will say I do think he's probably a little bit more consistent than Anthony Richardson. I think that's true, but I mean, he was inconsistent himself at Wisconsin. He was. And even if he is consistent, let's, let's for the sake of arguments, let's say he is going to be more consistent for them this year and bring them more stability. Well, he's just going to be consistently average at best. At least Richardson had the high points. Yeah, he had the low points, but at least he had those heights. I mean, they would not have beaten Utah last year in that opening game in Gainesville if it wasn't for Anthony Richardson like just putting on the cape late in that game and making some plays for them. To this point in his career, Graham Mertz has shown me absolutely nothing to make me believe that he has the ability to put on a cape and just lead Florida to a win. Like, just put the team on his shoulders and take them to victory. I have ne- I've seen absolutely no evidence of that whatsoever from him in two and a half years. Maybe he becomes that guy this year. You know, nothing's impossible. It's college football, crazy things happen. But if you're counting on that guy who has been that consistently average to below average throughout his career with that track record, if you're counting on that guy, a guy who finished 67th, 76th, and 80th in total QBR over the last three seasons at Wisconsin, if you're counting on that guy to lead your team to 7, 8, 9, 10 wins this year, you are out of your freaking mind. And Florida fans can talk themselves into whatever they want to talk themselves into. I mean, I don't begrudge them. I say this all the time when I talk about these previews. I don't begrudge fans for being hopeful because hope springs eternal. It's part of what makes college football great. Every year brings the promise of something new and better, right? I just think Florida fans, if they're buying into that, they're setting themselves up for a real big letdown this year. And he doesn't have much help at receiver either, man. They lost two of their top three guys at receiver from a year ago. The one guy they have that's returning, he actually was their leading receiver last year. It's a guy that transferred to Florida from Arizona State a year ago. His name is Ricky Pearsall. He's their slot receiver. He's a really good slot receiver. He's not an alpha guy. He's not one of those like number one X wide receivers. He's a good player. He can create some explosive plays from that slot position, but he is absolutely not your traditional number one wide receiver in a Florida offense. Like, he's not that kind of guy. In fact, outside of him, they don't have anyone else returning at the receiver position that caught more than 10 balls last year for more than 175 yards. Their second leading returning receiver from a year ago had 175 yards total receiving and 10 receptions. Everybody else is gone. Now, again, Billy Napier is recruiting well. Even in this first full recruiting class, he brought in some good receivers, Andy Jean. And Aiden Mizell were two guys that were in here for spring practice, and they have high hopes for those guys. Now, their most highly touted receiver coming this year is a guy by the name of Eugene Wilson. He's a fringe top 100 guy, 5'11", 165, a little smaller guy. He was not in Gainesville for spring practice. He is on campus now. He's going to go through fall camp, and he might factor in at some point this season. But I always tell you guys, counting on true freshmen to be impact players for you is a really tough spot to be in. It's great if they can give you something, but you don't want to be in a spot where you're counting on that, and that's kind of where Florida is right now at receiver outside of Ricky Pearsall. 
Now, they have two dudes at running back. Montreal Johnson's a guy that transferred over to Florida with Billy Napier from Louisiana. He was a really good player for him at Louisiana. He's going to be their, their number one back, their starter. But they're, I mean, if you want to call him a backup, he's not really. It's kind of like a Nick Sony situation. I'm not saying that they're as good as that duo. Of course, they're not Nick and Sony, but they share time like that. So Montreal Johnson coming in from Louisiana a year ago. Trevor Etienne, Travis Etienne's brother, you know that name was a freshman last year. He had a really, really good season for Ford. Both those guys are really strong running backs. Montreal Johnson's a bigger, thicker, more power type runner. Etienne runs with power too. He's a little smaller, shorter. He's a little lower to the ground and he has more short area quickness. He's more of a home run threat. They really complement each other really, really well. Neither one of them really gives Florida that much from out of the backfield in the pass game. At least they didn't last year. Maybe that'd be more in the cards this year since they are losing so much at the receiver position, but they didn't really showcase that last year. But in terms of running the football, those are two studs. Like they are very, very good. I mean, they are two of the better players on this entire Florida football team. So I imagine that Florida will try to lean on the run this year if you consider what they have coming back at quarterback. Now, I I, I am curious to see how much more difficult it is for Johnson and Etienne to find the yards they got last year without Anthony Richardson there to to factor into the run game. Because when you have a quarterback like that, a true dual-threat quarterback, a dynamic runner of the football at that position, defenses have to account for him. Oftentimes, they're optioning off of defenders, so they're, they're gaining the numbers advantage in the box when the quarterback's a runner. They're not going to have that situation this year. That's not going to be the case defenses are going to be able to load up on Johnson and Etienne in a way they could not last year with the threat of Anthony Richardson taking off and running the football with his dynamic rushing ability. So they are going to try to lean on the run. I I can almost guarantee you that. I just don't know if they're going to be as effective running the football this year because not only do they have no Anthony Richardson, they're also replacing four or five starters on the offensive line. Yes, they went out and got some guys from the transfer portal, but none of those guys project, at least right now, to be as good as the guys that they are replacing. Those two guys to the NFL, one of their backups, a guy who was probably going to start this year, guys remember the name Josh Braun, who was committed to us at one point, and then he decommitted and went to Florida. He's now left Florida. He's at Arkansas with Sam Pittman. Makes sense, right? So he's gone. So it's going to be a totally new look on the offensive line for Florida. Now, what Napier is trying to do is build a bigger, more physical offensive line. Really, he wants to build that team long-term the way that we are built. That's what he did at Louisiana. That, that's how he dominated that league when he was there. Uh, but, you know, it's going to take time. He needs time to go recruit those players. You, you can't just do it in one class. You need two, three, four classes stacked on top of one another like we have at Georgia, like Kirby Smart has done. I don't know if he's going to get that time. He's trying to do that. He's brought some guys in the program that fit that bigger, stronger, more powerful physical profile. They just aren't at the level right now where they're going to be able to lean on people consistently, at least not like the good teams on their schedule, the Utahs, the Georgias, the Tennessees, the Florida States. They're not in a position to be able to do that. So offensively, I think it's going to be tough going for Florida. I I don't know how they're going to be better in the pass game this year with the quarterback situation, losing the receivers that they lost, going to rely on a lot of young guys there. And then the run game, yeah, I think they're going to lean on the run game. They do have two really good backs, but you're losing so much on the offensive line. I don't think the guys that they have brought in to replace those guys are as good as the ones they lost last year. Again, two guys, two of those offensive linemen went to the NFL. This is an offense a year ago. It was 58th nationally in scoring offense, 37th nationally in points per play, uh, 20th nationally in in yards per play. Rushing offense, they were good last year. They ran the ball well. They were 24th nationally. They were top 25 last year in rushing offense. 
Passing offense, not as great. 77th nationally, only 42nd nationally in yards per attempt. Quarterback rating 70th, so it'll probably be right around the same there. So I don't know, man. Look at the returning production. They're only returning 55% of the production from last year, which is good for 100th nationally. I don't see any way that this Florida offense is going to be better this year. I really don't. I don't understand how they're going to be better when you're trying to replace the number four overall draft in the NFL draft at quarterback with a guy that finished 80th nationally in total QBR a year ago. He's got no one except for Ricky Pearsall, who's a good solid player, but not a true legit number one guy. Two good running backs to work with, an offensive line that's probably not going to do them a lot of favors. How is that offense going to take a significant step forward this year. Again, college ball is a crazy sport. Crazy things happen. I just don't see it. I don't see how anyone could put their money on that right now. And defensively, the pitcher might be slightly more rosy for Florida, but not by much. They do bring in a new defensive coordinator, a guy named Austin Armstrong, from actually from Alabama. He was their line, going to be their linebackers coach this year. They brought him over to Gainesville to be their defensive coordinator, and he's going to bring a more aggressive attacking style defense to Florida than what you saw a year ago. Florida did not force the issue last year. They kind of just let teams have their way with them. I think it was truly because they didn't really trust their secondary, and I don't blame them. They did not have a ton in the secondary last year. They had a couple of vets like Trey Dean who were terrible, and you had young guys like Kamari Wilson, you guys know that name from recruiting, who were going to be good, but they just weren't ready last year, so they wanted to keep the, the safeties deep as much as they could. I mean, they kept six or fewer players in the box the vast majority of the time last year. That's not going to be the case with Austin Armstrong. I think he's going to force the issue a little bit more this year, be more aggressive, bring more pressure packages, and try to force that issue and, and really try to make opposing offenses more uncomfortable than they were a year ago. So they kind of just, again, set back and for the most part were able to operate almost unmolested at times. Now, part of that was schematic and part of it was like Florida just didn't really have a ton of dynamic playmakers that were going to disrupt what the offense was doing. It was a combination of both things, but I don't think the scheme really did them a ton of favors either. Austin Armstrong, I don't want to say he's a Saban tree guy, but has some sort of connection to Saban. So you can see like Billy Napier's, you know, Forever, everyone wanted to say that like we were trying to build Alabama East, right? Well, I mean, Florida's very much trying to do something very similar because, again, Billy Napier comes from that tree. That's how he grew up. That's how he cut his teeth. But last year, the Florida defense was not good. They were 69th nationally in S&P Plus defense. That's that's not good, guys. That's uh, bottom half of the of the nation. And they lose their best defensive player from a year ago. Jervon Dexter, defensive lineman, was their best player. He got drafted. He's in the NFL now. Their defensive front's going to be interesting this year. They went and got two guys out of the portal, a guy named Cam Jackson from Memphis and Caleb Banks from Louisville, who I think are two good players. Cam Jackson, by all accounts, had a really, really good spring impress the Florida staff. He's very likely to be a starter on that defensive line. Now, is he going to be as good as Jervon Dexter? Is he, is he as athletic and does he have the physical profile? No, he doesn't. He's not that kind of guy, but they have high expectations for him this year. Again, he's probably going to start. The guy that's that's the most intriguing prospect, of course, is Desmond Watson, who's allegedly like up past 450 pounds now like he's the just that you guys saw him last year big huge guy I think he played like 440 last year like 6'5 440 450 allegedly he's now like in the 480 range and yeah I mean he's tough to move but he can only play first off can only play 
a couple of snaps at a time because he just doesn't have the endurance to stay out there for any sort of consistent stretch of time. And second off, yes, he can stand there and eat up space and it's tough to move because he is so big, but he doesn't really disrupt because he doesn't have that kind of explosiveness in the backfield. So I'm not saying he's worthless. I think 480 is a little too big if you're asking me, but I also don't think he's one of those dynamic playmakers. They, you know, for a while, Florida fans wanted to make you think like he was they're going to be their Jordan Davis. Um, No, not the case. Jordan Davis could actually move. Desmond Watson has yet to show the ability to be able to do that. And I mean, guys, this Florida defense is losing their top five tacklers from a year ago, okay? They're losing Dexter. They're losing Rashad Torrance and Trey Dean in the secondary. They're losing Amari Bernie at linebacker. losing Ventrell Miller at linebacker. Bernie and Miller weren't great, but they played a lot of football for them. Now, the guy that they're pretty high on, and he was a pretty big-time recruit for them, was Shamar James, and he played a good bit last year. I mean, he uh, he played in all 13 games for them last year, had 47 tackles on the year, two sacks. So he got some playing time. And he's a guy that they are hoping takes a huge step forward this year. And he might. I can't discount that because, again, he's he's a talented player. I think he was more talented than Miller and Bernie were last year. I think he moves a little, a little bit better, especially better than, than Ventrell Miller did. But we just haven't seen it consistently from him. It's possibly can be a really good player for them, but we don't know that yet. And playing beside him in the middle of that defense is going to be Taraja Mitchell, who, again, is another guy you might remember years ago from recruiting. Like we were in on him pretty hard. He ended up going to Ohio State. He started a couple years at Ohio State, but he got beat out before last year and lost his starting job, and so he transferred to Florida. Now, he's a good player, solid player, but again, like, do you want to be in the business, if you were Florida, of taking guys from other power programs that got beat out at that other power program, and now they're going to start for you? Like, Do you really feel confident with that situation? Like, does that make you feel good about where you are as a defense? Do you think you're going to get better when you're bringing in guys like that? I'm not saying Mitchell's a bad player. He's not a bad player. He's solid. He's good, but he's not great. If he was great, he wouldn't have gotten beat out at Ohio State. And then the secondary, I mentioned Kamari Wilson earlier. He got a lot of time last year. He played fairly well when he got opportunities. You can see the talent. I mean, he's got the athleticism. He's got the length. He's a really good football player. And you guys remember him from recruiting because we were in on him big time. And we had him. Like, we had him at one point. But Florida comes in late. Like, I hate, like, we're in this situation now. Whenever any team loses a guy, their fans always say it was NIL. And it, like, whatever. NIL is legal now. It's it's whatever. It's like the old, like, they're cheating. It's not cheating anymore. It's just like NIL. So I, I cringe when I say this. But it's just true. I had this on very, very good authority from people that I very much trust that he just got a massive NIL deal from Florida at the end. And that swung things in their favor. And that's fine. Like Sometimes that's going to happen nowadays. That just is what it is. We wanted it. He went to Florida. They got a good one. And he got some playing time last year. I fully expect him to have a good year this year, take another step forward. He's probably going to be one of their better players, not just on their defense. He's probably going to be one of the better players on their entire team, at least if he takes what you would think is a logical step forward as a sophomore after getting that experience last year. Another guy that you guys all know, because not only did we recruit him, we actually landed him. He actually signed with Georgia and played with Georgia. Georgia, but dealt with some injuries, didn't win the cornerback battle, and he left, right? So Jalen Kimber, you guys remember, transferred to Florida, right? Well, he is projected to start for Florida at cornerback this year. And I this is a guy that is very athletic. He's extremely fast. No, he did not win the job at Georgia, but he's still a good, talented player. I mean, winning a job at Georgia is tough. It's tougher than really anywhere else in the country with how we've recruited, especially in the defensive backfield. So that's not necessarily a black eye on the guy. It's not a sign that he can't play. He just wasn't as good as our guys. But again, I say this again. If you're a Florida fan, 
How do you possibly feel comfortable with the fact that one of your starting cornerbacks that you're expecting to lean on this year is a guy that, I mean, let's just put it bluntly, could not hack it at Georgia, okay? And I, I don't mean that as a shot at the guy. I really don't. I'm sure he's a, a fine young man. I mean, this is not sour grapes at all. I mean, if you, he had a transfer. It was good for him. It was, it was the right move. He wasn't going to play here. But he could not win the job at Georgia, and now Florida's expecting him to be one of their key contributors in their back end. If you're a Florida fan, how can you feel comfortable about that? How can you feel like you've gained ground on Georgia when you're taking their castoffs? It kind of justifies logic, doesn't it? But that is where Florida is right now. Then the other cornerback is probably going to be a guy named Jason Marshall. There is a, a freshman that they've got coming in this year, a guy by the name of Jakeem Jackson, who was one of their top recruits in last year's class. He was a top 50 guy nationally in the 247 composite, 6'1", 180. He's got a very, very bright future. Again, he's another one of the examples of how Billy Napier is recruiting really well. He's doing a really nice job. And that's why I think it's crazy if the Florida fans would put pressure on them, no matter what happens this year, to get rid of Napier because they're just really pushing themselves back even further into the abyss than they already are. So I think Jackson, before it's all said and done this year, might find himself in that starting lineup, but I don't know. He'll certainly be in the mix in fall camp, and if he can get himself up to speed, kind of accelerate the learning process, then he's got a shot. But he's a really talented player. There's no doubt about that. Then the star position, it's going to be a guy, probably Jadarius Perkins would be my guess right now. There's still going to be a competition at that spot for sure. But right now, based on everything you hear and you read and, and the fact that he was on the team last year, got some experience, it seems like he is the one that's kind of got the lead going into fall camp. Will he emerge from fall camp as the guy at star? Remains to be seen. They do have some talented young guys in secondary who might get shots to play that position. But it looks like he's going to be the guy to open the season at that spot. And this is the Florida defense that, again, wasn't very good last year. 87th nationally in scoring defense, gave up 28.8 points per game, 88th nationally in points per play, 97th nationally in total defense. If you go down to the rush defense, they were 100th nationally. They gave 175 yards rushing per game last year. And let's think about this, guys. They're losing their, their top two inside linebackers and their best defensive linemen, and they're going to be that much better against the run? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Passing defense wasn't much better, but slightly better. 83rd nationally, giving up 236 yards per game. They gave up 7.7 .7 yards per attempt, which is not good. That's 100th nationally last year. And they're only returning 53% of their production from last year's really pretty bad defense, which is 89th nationally. I do think there's a chance they can improve on those numbers slightly, just with a new coordinator coming in, a little bit of a new scheme, a little bit more aggression in the scheme. I think they have a couple of talented players in the secondary that might give them an upgrade there. I don't know how they're, again, I don't know how they're going to be much better against the run when you consider what they're losing and who they're trying to replace those guys with. I guess, you know, there's the unknown and maybe they could be better. But like I said with the offense, I'm not putting my money on that. I'm not betting on that. So as you can see, there is a reason why Vegas put that win total at five or five and a half, depending on what sports book you're looking at. I'm sure that when you first saw that number, you're probably like, what? Like like a, a, a double take? Like five, five and a half? Am I reading that correctly? But there's a reason why. Vegas knows what they're talking about, guys. Like, yeah, sure, teams, you know, go over under what Vegas' expectations are every year, but they win more than they lose, right? Like there's a reason that, you know, the old saying is there's a reason they build all those tall buildings out in Vegas. These guys know what's up. And Florida is not going to be a very good football team this year. Can they get to six? Maybe. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I think it's far more likely that they win four or five games this year. With that schedule, 
losing the number four overall pick in the NFL draft and replacing with a guy that was 80th nationally in total QBR last year and never threw for more than 2,100 yards in his career through 29 touchdowns to 22 interceptions over the past two seasons with an offensive line that's going to be completely retooled with a dearth of playmakers and proven talent at the wide receiver position. A lot of losses on the defense, counting a lot of young guys and transfers. That's not a recipe for a lot of confidence in Gainesville this season. But all right, there you go, guys. There is the Florida Scout and the Enemy episode. I will be back for one more episode at the end of this week. I think we're going to run a mailbag episode, guys. It's been a couple of weeks, right? Fall camp is starting this week. It starts on Thursday, which is awesome. That's beautiful. That's music to my ears. So uh, with, with that starting up and like the first practice, again, like they report on Wednesday, first practice will be in shorts and helmets on Thursday. So not much is going to go on there. So let's do a mailbag episode. So I got some questions already, but if you have any questions about fall camp, depth chart stuff, team stuff, even some recruiting stuff, there's still some recruiting stuff going on in the background. We have actually a couple of big commitments coming up over the weekend. I would love to hear from you guys. Hit us up on, uh, on Twitter at glory underscore UJ. You can find us on Instagram at Glory UGA Podcast, even our YouTube channel, guys. You want to leave us comments on those videos, you can put some questions in there. Again, check out the YouTube channel. Like, subscribe, watch the new video I just posted. I think you guys are really going to enjoy that one. Uh, You can also email us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. So I will be back later this week. Let's do that mailbag. And if you're lucky, we might have a little surprise for you guys on Friday's episode. But thanks for being here, guys. You know I love you. I'm Tyler. And as always... Go dogs!